Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Now, today's guest is Walter Chen. This is part two of the interview with Walter, who is the co-founder and CEO of I Done This, an email-based productivity tool that allows people to track their productivity with a daily email reminder. The company was founded in 2011, and its investors include folks such as the CEOs of Zappos, Shopify, and Wistia. Walter is a software engineer and a former big law firm lawyer. In this episode, we talk about how a blog post that Walter wrote got the attention of Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, and how that led to them hanging out with the Zappos leadership and having Tony become an investor. We also talk about how Walter writes shareable blog posts, even when he's not a subject matter expert. And we discuss a counterintuitive approach to content marketing that Walter learned from the founders of the social media tool Buffer. What was I was curious, what was the article that you wrote which Tony Shea shared with his staff? What was the what was the title of that article? I don't remember what the title was, but it was something about like these sort of bossless cultures in Silicon Valley, you know, uh companies like I guess this is not a Silicon Valley company, but Valve, you know, and in, in Los Los Angeles where they, they you know don't have or sorry, is it, is it Valve? Uh where they don't have like uh managers and that kind of thing. So it was about sort of like how to run a company without uh, like an explicit, like, you know, hierarchy. How are you coming up with this, this content? Yeah. So it's a great question. It's a mix of two things. I think it's a, sort of a mix of stuff that I find interesting. And it's a mix of stuff that other people have expressed interest in. So for example, if I wrote a blog post about, uh, I don't know, bossless cultures in Silicon Valley, someone might ask a more detailed question about goal setting you know, at bossless cultures or something like that. And so then I may be like, okay, that's something interesting there. I'll, I'll, I'll read more. I'll learn more about goal setting, uh, and write an article about that. Um, uh, and, 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 and there was always this, and I, I guess it's sort of like, you know, you know how like, you know, your mind moves faster than like, you, you know, your you, you can write, for example. So your mind is moving faster than the speed at which you can write. Like we always had this experience that like, your mind is moving faster than the speed at which you can develop product, right? So like, for example, you have all these ideas for features. They go in a direction. They take a product in a certain thematic direction. Like, so for example, uh, we could be doing uh, like this sort of like uh, keeping asynchronous status updates. Um, but we might think, okay, the next step is like asynchronous status updates with respect to goal setting. So I might go out and learn a lot about goal setting, the different ways that companies set goals to think about how to build the product uh, to think about how the how to build the goal setting product, right? Um, but in learning all of that, you know, I then I have this huge wealth of knowledge about goal setting that I can share with my customers and make them successful. Uh, you know, if they're trying to you know do something with goal setting, yeah. So it's kind of like there's all this stuff that you're learning, but you can't build the product fast enough, right? <laughs> and so like a lot of the content is is about stuff that's going to make your customers successful that maybe you haven't built yet, or the bigger concepts that drive what you're doing. Did you have um, a plan for the content that you were going to write and create or, or were you just, you know, as you said, as, as you sort of came across an idea in your head, you would just kind of pursue that and then figure out what the next thing after that was going to be? Yeah, that's a good question. We could have definitely been more systematic about it. 
and uh, we, <laughs> we're planning to get more systematic about it. In the past, it was just sort of like, it was more sporadic and kind of like inspiration driven <laughs> rather than sort of like process driven. Um, and so, you know, that, I, I mean, that has sort of like, it's good and good and bad sides on the good side. Like sort of like we're the, the quality was relatively high cause we were only writing when we were sort of like inspired, but on the downside, like it created this sort of like, you know, you couldn't predict how many people were going to sign up in any given month. Cause like, it would be like, it would highly depend on whether you have produced a piece of content that a lot of people have read or not. Um, so, so yeah, early on there, it was, it was pretty structureless and free form um, as like our content <laughs> has matured and as it, hopefully it will mature, it will become more systematic. How, how much time do you spend on writing a typical post? Yeah, I haven't written these days. I don't write very much anymore, but you know, I was a strong believer. So do you know, uh, buffer? Are you familiar with buffer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Leo and Joel, they were in our class at, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, they were in our class at angel pad, the accelerator that we went through. So during that time, Joel and Leo, they weren't the famous guys they are now, but Leo had started the content strategy that would drive, uh, you know, buffers early success. Right. Um, so I talked a lot with Leo and he taught me a lot about content. Um, and, uh, one of the things that he was a big, big proponent of, which I a hundred percent agree, which is a bit counterintuitive is the idea of quantity over quality. So he was big on just producing a high quantity of content and eventually that will help improve your quality. Um, and so what that meant was like Leo could churn out four blog posts a day. Okay. Whereas, wow. you know, your, your normal person might be able to write one a week. Okay. And if you read them, you would be like, this is not a high quality post necessarily. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but he, he was able to produce so much of them. And at, at some point, like you like write one post that's like, you know, well-received three that no one care about and whatever. Then you write another post that's well-received. Then you write another one. Then you, what you have end up with is all of these snippets of, you have these posts which are snippets contain interesting ideas that you that have been validated. You know they're interesting because a lot of people read them for whatever reason. It was successful, right? Then you can start mixing and matching these ideas. Then you have all these different sources for new ideas, right? One of the hardest things to do when you sit down to write is just like come up with a good idea. And so like the more you write, the more you have all these different interesting snippets that you can mix and match and combine and then like riff off of in different ways, right? Um, and so for me, like writing a blog post I sort of subscribe to the, the the Leo school of writing blog posts. So I was always able to to write blog posts relatively quickly. So not necessarily as quickly as Leo, but you know, I could do one within two hours or I could, you know, I could do with one within a, a longer one within four hours. Um, and when someone read it, it would have enough interesting things in it and it wasn't, it would be relative, it would be well-written enough that, uh, that it, that it had the potential to be successful. That, that's really interesting. I, I never really heard about that approach i i know that uh leo and um you know what they did with buffer was based on a you know a ridiculous amount of content marketing to get the word out there but just specifically kind of saying the how you described it as as quantity over quality um is not something i've come across before and in fact you know um the other folks like <clears throat> excuse me neil patel who who was a guest back? Wow, he was like, you know, 
on I think it's number four episode number four of this show. Um, you know, he's a big promote, proponent of writing like two thousand word blog posts, right? Yeah. Which I guess is completely the opposite end of that spectrum. Well, you know, it's interesting. I guess it depends how. So he's a proponent of writing a two thousand word blog post, but I bet that he can write that blog post in you know, an hour, like, or, you know, I bet he writes that blog post in like two hours. Um, and the reason is one, like he's learned so much that he can just, he's like, you know, these guys are like Jay-Z, right. They just like (laughs) kick it off the top of their head, right. They don't have to write it down. Like if you sat down and asked, you say, Neil, tell me every, you know, tell me about content marketing. He could talk for like two hours on content marketing just off the top of his head. Right. Um, and so like, you know, (laughs) I, I think a lot of like, and the reason is because, like, I mean, a lot of these guys, they, they're voracious consumers of content. Like, they read a lot. I mean, like, if you talk to, you know, Leo, these guys, they read a lot. They've also, they write a lot, a high quantity. Uh, so, like, a lot of it is just, like, the sum of their experience and, like, just having written stuff down so much. Um, it's just, like, I, you know, so I, I don't think the – so. I, I don't think that necessarily the length sort of belies what the fundamentally, I think these guys, are, you know, are guys that produce a lot because they consume a lot. And also because they have like a, not necessarily that they want to produce something of low quality, but they value like producing a high quantity. And, and you're t- talking to me about high quantity. I mean, I'm t- telling you about high quantity, um, 2000 words, like that's high quantity, right? Not just a high quantity of posts, but a high quantity of words within those posts. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny. And you're right. I think it's um, a lot of these guys are naturally good at creating a, a lot of this content. You know, personally, for me, I sit down and try to write a blog post and, you know, I could be there for like four hours and I'm still <laughs> on like the first sentence, right? And it's like, um, but it, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I've learned, by the way, is it's just kind of dealing with that, which might help other people as well is, um, you know, personally, I always struggle with trying to do the the writing and the editing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I just had to learn in terms of just get it out of your head. Don't try to do that f- perfect first draft the first time yeah. round. Um, and then only sort of edit once you have everything out of your head. And then that certainly has worked better for me. But even then, I, I find myself pretty drained, you know writing 500 words, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, is probably no. why we're talking on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've got a relatively prolific podcast. This is like episode number 60 for you, right? 65, yeah. Okay, so yeah, there you go. Oh, I'm doing the quantity thing as well now, I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what do you think has been one of the hardest things about building this product and business? Something that you wish that maybe you had known about sooner? Yeah, it's interesting. I would say the way I've sort of summed it up is that business is a people business. You know, like I, the uh, when I was talking to you earlier about being like the co-founder issue, you know, that is sort of just like a kind of like a subset of this bigger idea that like in business, you're constantly dealing with people. And like, uh, you know, it's you can't sit back in your room and just like do equations and like send out memos and you know, uh, you you constantly have to deal with people, good and bad, right? It's like you have to deal in <laughs> deal in like kind of the muck, you know. So, like for instance, for example, I have a good friend who is super shy and just like sits in his room all day. And like he was like, you know, made his money playing poker. 
Um, and uh, he was playing like online, making good money. But he said to me, like, I think I actually like people more than you do. Because like, I'm always complaining about people. Um, <laughs> I was like, my response is like, look, I have to deal with people every day and you don't, right? And, and like, I deal with people in this situation where I think it's, it's like sort of the most uncomfortable slash miserable thing where it's like, I want something, you want something, like we want something that's the opposite. And like, we're like, you know, fighting over it. Um, and like, so I feel like in business, it's just like the amount that you have to deal with people. That's good. It's fun. It makes it fun, but it's also sort of like one of the hardest things. Um, and so like, for example, like <laughs> I was, re- I was reading this post by Jessica Livingston, Livingston at YC of YC, uh, yesterday where she said, one of the mistakes that every founder makes is waiting too long to fire. And like, we made that mistake too. And like, um, one of the reasons why it's so hard is because firing someone sucks. <laughs> right. And like, yeah. it's because you're not a total sociopath, right? Like you, you like, you know, you like hate to see another pe- person and it's a traumatic experience in another person's life to get, you know, to get let go. Right. And so it's like, like you hate to see that you hate to be a part of that. You hate to be like the cause of that. Um, and like, that's one of the things like you have to experience and, and you must experience as, you know, someone who starts and runs their own company, like you, you're going to have to fire someone and you're going to have to fire someone when it's your own fault. Right. And you're going to have to fire someone when you waited too long to do it. You're going to have to fire someone who is going to, you know, is going to have a really tough time in life, you know, having been fired. Right. So, I mean, like that to me is like, uh, like all of the biggest mistakes we've made have been around, I think, dealing with people. And like, that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the, the businesses is, is today. Uh, what sort of revenue are you guys doing? Uh, we're, I mean, I, I would just say like, you know, without sort of saying exact numbers, like we're, you know, very, very close to cash flow, cash flow break even. Uh, we're, you know, probably be profitable really soon. And, uh, we're growing nicely. We've been growing really uh, nicely since the beginning of 2015. So, um, so yeah, we're in a pretty happy place in that regard. So you, earlier you said uh, you had about 1,000 customers. But, uh, you, I mean, that doesn't equate to 1,000 customers paying five bucks a month each, right? I mean, No, 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 no. They're each, they're, yeah, it's mostly companies. That company are customers. customers. Yeah. So, yeah so it's five dollars per person uh like per employee in your company so when you say a customer it could be a hundred people in that company that's right. using the product that's yeah. right okay cool um so what's next for i done this what, what what are you excited about this year yeah so one of the things that we're focused on is just is uh building a and i don't know if it, maybe this is boring uh but making the product work better for bigger companies. So like we've had these larger companies that use our product like Uber and Twitter, and we want to have more employees at those companies using our product. And we want to uh, make the, so one of the things is just from the very beginning, the product was more focused for small teams. So like teams of people from like five to 25. And now that we have like these bigger companies, we want to make sure it works for them. So we're sort of changing the way that the product works, uh, like internally kind of like the way updates get distributed and that kind of thing. I, I wish I had known about I done this when I was at Microsoft. I know the the amount of time I used to waste, you know, like I, I was managing 
you know, teams of anywhere between five to 25 people had to do these status updates for my management, which I just hated doing. And, you know, every week it was like sending these annoying mails to everybody to get these, their updates in so I could consolidate this stuff. And, and that's exactly the problem that you guys are helping solve. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, that's one of the things that we hear from our customers that they, we take that pain away. Cool. All right. So now it's time for our lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> little scary. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Uh, that's a toughie. I would say the one that comes to mind is I was talking to our advisor, one of our advisors yesterday, Chris Savage, who's the founder and CEO of Wistia. Um, and he was saying that he wanted to be able to sum up Wistia in one word. And, uh, I was thinking, man, like, you know, when I describe I done this, it's like, you know, it's like gets really long winded really fast. One word I couldn't do. Um, so, but I, you know, you know, after he sort of talked and explained to me why that's so important, I was like in total agreement. And so like to be able to have that kind of level of focus and sort of know that much about what you're doing, that's sort of like what I aspire for. So, so yeah, that was like a, I think a really important piece of advice for me. And Chris was a guest on this show as well. I can't remember which episode it was. I'll include it in the show notes. And uh, oh, sweet. Wistia has a great story as well. And those guys, you know, the, Chris was like, oh, I thought I'd kind of get into this thing and, you know, a um, couple of years and we'd be set for life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it took them about a year to get their first customer. So, and yeah. that, you know, they're doing really well these days. Yeah, they're um, doing amazing. He's, his story is one of the ones that has, inspires me the most. Speaking of like what gets you motivated every day, you know, like for him, like it took them five or six years to get to, you know, like a million annual run rate. And so like, uh, and now they're, you know, they're doing much better than that. So it's like, so anyway, he's, he's one of the main guys that inspires me. My question for you is which interview has been better, the one with Chris or the one with me? What do you think? Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been an awesome interview. Um, I I think what I, what I liked about, uh, Chris's was that, like I said, in terms of just the, you know, it was just a great wake up call on, you know, so many people think that, um, you know, I'm kind of going to do this. I'm, I've got this great idea. I'm going to get funding and, you know, I'm going to create this next billion dollar company. And Chris was there telling you, telling me, you know, Hey, uh, it didn't work out like that. I had to, you know, me and my girlfriend had to move into this, um, you know, this, uh, 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 this apartment, I guess, with a bunch of other people so we could save money. Uh, the co-founders at some point were thinking about going to work at Starbucks so they could get healthcare <laughs> benefits, right? It was like, it's an amazing story. Um, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Huh. That's interesting. That's a good one. I'm. Let me think. You know, I was obsessed recently with uh, this book that has nothing to do with business, but it was called... Uh, by a guy named Andrew Solomon. It was called Far From the Tree. It's about children who grow up with some kind of like major disability or some other kind of thing and how, you know, their relationship with their parents. Uh, so it was, I mean, so one of the really interesting chapters was about like criminality, kids who, kids who have committed heinous crimes and like how their parents cope with that. I don't know. I, just, <laughs> I, I mean, I just thought it was one of the most like sort of human books I had ever read like about like the human experience and like one of the hardest and sort of take me back to why 
like what I was saying earlier is like one of the hardest things to do is like deal with humans. You know, on the one hand, like if you think so much about another person, like you think about everything that bad is going to happen to them if you let them go, you might not do it. But at the same time, like if you you don't want to like dehumanize yourself to the process and to be like, okay, they're just like a resource or whatever to be allocated or, you know, reallocated. Um, so it's like, a, you know, it's like, how do you approach it in a human way and like really address all the different, really very human things about it? You know, I mean, I, I know that's kind of vague, but um, that was one of the books that I was obsessed with recently. So, tell, yeah. tell me the title again of that book. Far From the Tree. Far From the Tree. I'll include that in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, just talking about Chris, for example, just like not giving up, you know, and and Chris, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I was joking, joking with Chris yesterday because we were talking on a call. I had this sort of like different different product idea, and, and and anyway, I referred to myself as an extremely intelligent person, and you know. But so with Chris, for example, it's one never is not not never giving up, but like having that fortitude, like keep going, don't give up. Right. And the other the flip side of that is like he's got this confidence and sort of cockiness. I mean, I wouldn't say he does. I don't say I think he's, you know, goes in arrogance. Me neither. But I mean, anyway, I'm talking too much about myself. So that's makes this answer tricky. But um, <laughs> I would say like you know, not arrogance or cockiness, just like confidence, uh, confidence in yourself and like, uh, and like self-belief and then just like not giving up, um, and, and keep going. All right. Uh, what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit apart from I done this? Uh, yeah, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> I have to answer. I done this. So, okay. So <laughs> relatedly then I would say that one of my favorite personal productivity tools or sort of habits is, uh, every morning thinking about what I'm going to do that day, writing it down, writing like a short narrative and then writing a list of the most important things that I need to do. And, you know, obviously I use, I've done this in part for this, but I also use a hackpad and hackpad is like one of, is a productivity tool I love because uh, it's so easy to pull up a hackpad and then like you can write so much stuff on it, <laughs> you know, and so many notes and junk and just like, you can organize your thoughts in different ways. So I want to give props to Hackpad and then also just like thinking every day about like sort of thinking and reflecting every day about what it is you want to accomplish and like that kind of thing. If you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business or problem or opportunity would you want to kind of go and focus on? Yeah, you know, I I, I, I sort of agree with the idea of like, uh, you know, a good friend of mine says, you know, I mean, this is so sort of cheesy, but like, I'm not looking for opportunities. I'm looking for inspiration. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's opportunities in the world everywhere. It's sort of like the question is like, like what really inspires you deeply? And, you know, I mean, there was that Justine Musk thing that people were like, you know, going nuts over earlier. It's like how to become a billionaire or whatever. One of the things that she said was, and I think rings really true, is that those people who are successful, not that we're all seeking success or necessarily but, you know, the people who seem really happy with their work, for example, or the people that are working on something that they're obsessed with. So being obsessed with something is different from seeing an opportunity in something. And uh, there are so many advantages to being obsessed with what you're working on. I mean, I don't even know if I need to state them, but like, you know, it's like one of them that I've noticed is that sometimes when you talk about something, say I talk about tidying a room or whatever, nobody cares. 
right? Nobody cares. But say I, I talk about StarCraft, one of my favorite video games, seems like people gravitate towards me because I have so much excitement about StarCraft. And, and on, the, on the vice versa, I don't know if you've seen this blowing up this book, uh, the art, like the art and science, the art of like tidying things or whatever by uh, this Japanese woman, Marie Kondo. She has written about tidying up in a way that, you know, it just attracts so many people to her. Why? Because she's uh, clearly obsessed with it, even though objectively tying up, tidying up is not interesting. You know what I mean? Even like if you ask 99 people, they would like about their interest in tidying up. They would say it's like next to nothing. Right? Oh, this, this is the book where she kind of has it like a ritual where you almost like say thank you to the item that you're about to throw away exactly. or something yeah, like that. Exactly. It's, she is just so obsessed with it that she's turned it into a worldwide phenomenon. Think about that. Like, that's insane, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I think that, like, you know, the number one thing is, and if I were to do it, you know, do it again, or if I were to do it again right now, I just think more and more about, like, those things that you're obsessed with. You, you know, that, like, you can really, that, like, when you talk about it, you're just, like, radiating that energy. Like, people feel it, you know what I mean? Because you're that excited about it, Right. So that's, I think that's like kind of like the thing. Yeah, that's really good advice. I mean, don't go out and do something just because, you know, you see an opportunity to make money because if you're not really passionate about it, you're not going to last long, right? You're just not going to have the energy to get up and day in, day out and work on that thing. Yep, yep. Um, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Huh. That's interesting. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> so growing up, you know, my, I told you my dad was a math professor. So growing up, I was actually pretty good at math. I mean, like, it was like really good. At, my dad made me do math all the time. Like, uh, so in the summer, you know, my friends would be playing outside. I had to do math. Like I had to do, I had to stay inside and do all these math problems. Um, and so like one sort of like canonical example is like my, I went with, uh, I was like in seventh grade, I went with my family on a cruise. We went to the Bahamas or whatever, the Caribbean or Caribbean. Sorry, maybe I mispronounced <laughs> that. <laughs> um, and uh, my dad brought a bunch of math books. And every day, even when we were on a tropical cruise, me, he sat my sister down, me and my sister who was two years older than me, and made us do differential equations, taught us differential equations. And, uh, wait, you were so, doing differential equations on the cruise on the cruise. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And so like I did a lot of math. I mean, that's something that most people don't know <laughs> about me now is like just how much math I was doing all the time. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Love it. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Yeah. I, I would say these days, I, yeah, like, uh, like the playing soccer. I mentioned it earlier. I mean, I'm not any good, so it's, <laughs> it's sort of hard to say that. But uh, one of my closest friends who I grew up with, actually two of my longtime friends I've been friends with since like fourth grade. We played soccer together all growing up. They turned out a lot better than I did, and they both played soccer in college. One of them actually played for St. John's, and they won the national championship uh, in Division One. Uh, but, uh, and my other friend, he ended up playing D3 at University of Chicago. Anyway, they are both living in New York City. So, uh, we started a soccer team and, uh, and we play together every week, which is in really ridiculously fun. I mean, especially just playing with your childhood friends. And, uh, but the twist is that we keep losing. Like, we suck. I don't, I, and I don't even know <laughs> what is happening considering we have like 
five former Division One soccer players on our team, and we keep losing. Um, but uh, I think the reason is that we're too old now, and like we're getting beat by all these kids. But uh, and because like like for example, my friend who went to Chicago now he's a doctor. He's a doctor, so he like you know doesn't show up consistently. So we have a team full of like really good old guys who don't show up. Um, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. So that's like one of the things I've been enjoying the most. Sweet. Yeah, I, I grew up in England and where we actually call it football. <laughs> and, um, you know, at school, we used to play every break and lunchtime we were out there playing. And, uh, you know, whenever we had to pick teams, like, you know, I was never the last guy to get picked, but I was never like the first in the first top three or four that would get picked to go on, you know, either side. Right, and right. Um, there was this one one. One day I remember so clearly that, um, you know, uh, our team was taking a corner and I was standing near the back of the goalpost and this ball just came flying so fast at my head <laughs> that I didn't have time to get out of the way. Uh-huh. And it actually hit my head and bounced into the goal and I scored. Oof. And after that, <laughs> everybody was picking me as the first guy to be on their team. And that well, last that lasted like a couple of weeks until they realized that I wasn't really that good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's Walter, funny. I, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's it's been it's been fun, man. Um, and uh, thank you for sharing your experience and insights with our audience. Um, now, if folks want to find out more about I Done This, uh, obviously you can go to idonethis.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just, uh, I guess, find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Smalter, S-M-A-L-T-E-R. It's something I've had since, like, sixth grade. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, find me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Tweet at me. Cool. Walter, thanks again. I appreciate you making time to do this, and uh, good luck uh, in the future. Yeah, thanks, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Take care.